Welcome to episode 288 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Oh. Alrighty. So I'll start off, we had some fact check from last week. Although we're going to probably have some maple syrup fact check too, by the way. But uh, yeah, so we were talking about hockey sticks and uh, Mark asked the question whether hockey sticks were made out of maple trees. And uh, they currently are made mostly from ash. Uh, sorry, well, let me, wooden hockey sticks are made from ash. Uh, they were previously made from maple or willow um, back, you know, back in when hockey first started up. But the majority of sticks now in the NHL, for instance, are made of carbon fiber. And I think most, you know, most hockey players are using carbon fiber sticks now. Um, there was a phase where they were using aluminum and fiberglass as well for to make the shafts and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so um, maple was used in the early, early days, but for the most part, it's ash, just like baseball bats, right? Mm. And I've got a link here for uh, some ice hockey stick uh, trivia. We were talking about the what were we talking about the number of registered developers oh I, I mentioned it in the show um, I was close uh, there as of 2019 I think Tim Cook mentioned that uh, or 2018 I guess or WWC he mentioned there were 20 million registered iOS developers worldwide so um, I think it's grown a little bit since that but not that much right so that was some and I just linked that back from we talked about that on the show like uh, a couple of years ago I think too and that's it Let's do the follow-up here. So, I mean, you got something. We're, we were just talking about, ironically, we were just talking about uh, COVID-19. Yeah, it's it's hit conferences of all shapes and sizes and companies, uh, tech companies in particular, have said, hey, we're limiting employees' travel. Uh, this story here is on Google and Amazon doing that. But um, I just keep getting emails about IBM doing it and yet another conference that's canceled or delayed depending on their, their needs. People are really being very careful about travel to uh, affected areas, which this article had you know listed like uh, China, but we know that Iran and Italy and South Korea and Thailand and like yeah. I'm sure by the time this comes out there will be four more countries that'll have been impacted so uh, everybody's yeah. really pushing towards stay home uh, especially if you're sick but just even if you're healthy just stay home where possible uh, work remotely uh, video conference people are talking about doing uh, some conferences as streaming only mm-hmm. so like, like well, Google that, I.O. is an that, example that conference you've heard of that conference before the one that's in you the know. in the Dells right in Wisconsin I want to say yeah I think so yeah that that's a complete dial up conference isn't it no, that that one's like a like a water park or something. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, I, thought, I thought it was a conference where everything was, was you know, you basically dial in and it's all virtual. There's some, I'm not sure which one you're talking about. There's like ByteConf, B-Y-T-E, like like byte and the number of bits. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do some every once in a while. Like they did one on GraphQL that was all online. They've done one on React. And I think they have another one coming up fairly soon too. Yeah, it's obviously going to be the way we have to do it for a bit. Yeah, I mean, travel. Uh, and I also heard that Twitter had sort of told everybody to work, work from home recently. Like or so ago yeah they're encouraging their five thousand some employees i think to do that all right move on uh this is a little bit lighter news is the puppies part of the show (laughs) after the dour news there kittens Uh, yeah yeah yeah. apple has uh has made an ad here highlighting its history of appearing he says with with scare quotes uh in anime japanese animation uh with regard to its macbooks and it's kind of interesting to see how macbooks are rendered in various 
uh, bits of animation and, and some keep it fairly, fairly closely. You could tell, oh, that's obviously meant to be an, an Apple product because it has an Apple logo, but with another bite taken out of the apple, uh, there's some that are a little bit more, um, you know, uh, less accurate. Like they have a bite taken out of a pear, but I mean, you can tell by the styling and this of the logo and the sleek silver metal of the laptop itself that's meant to be a MacBook Pro. So their Apple's really sort of leaning into this in terms of hey, this, this is how much mind share we have. I thought this was sort of styled by Apple, but I, I see what you mean. These are just clips from from various um, things. Because I, I was wondering why, because Apple's very strong opinionated about how you use their logo you know you can't really take a bite out of the apple but i, I suppose it was used in another another format and there's a lot of people do that to sort of separate themselves away from apple itself so they don't appear to be sponsored by them per se um because you see that in a lot of a lot of hollywood type you know shows they, the computer is generally always an apple or a mac of some type right and they they cover up the logo with uh strategically placed you know stickers so but uh yeah, yeah interesting it was a really interesting cartoon but i thought i thought I, I thought actually apple had just got a bunch of artists together and made this but yeah no, no, and that's why they're they're all fake logos because they yeah, didn't have any yeah. official Apple involvement. And I think it's pretty similar if you watch any sort of uh, Japanese animation. The characters, high schoolers in general, will go to this uh, fast food restaurant called Whack Donalds that mm-hmm. has this <laughs> that has a very bright red and yellow color scheme. Oh wow! Well, imagine that. Yeah, that's very creative. I wonder where they got that idea from. It's super easy. You just take the <laughs> the golden arches and you turn them upside down, and now you're oh W. Okay, right. McDonald's. Photoshop gotcha. makes that super gotcha. easy to do. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Okay, this next story here is... Uh, so I was listening to uh, CBC the other day, and it turns out it you know your, your timing couldn't be better, Jaime, because it actually is maple syrup season, apparently. Um, uh, I was listening to CBC Metro Morning. They were talking to uh, a neighborhood, and this is answering Mark's question, too, about whether you can uh, tap any... There's trees being tapped in Toronto, but apparently there's, a, there's an area of Toronto called Region Heights where they started with a couple of trees and now they've spread it out and now they've got like hundreds of people in the neighborhood all tapping their trees and um, it's true like the best trees to get maple sugar from are sugar maples which is a particular strain of maple tree but apparently you can do it on any maple tree and you just get yourself a little spigot and drill a hole about uh, chest height and uh, hang a bucket on the south side of the tree apparently and uh, you get out the uh, the sap and then you boil it down and so this Regent Heights place is going to have a big boiling party. They're all collecting their their sap uh, and they're all going to have a, um, a big party. So apparently the, the trick is that it has to be above freezing during the day and below freezing at night and that sort of generate, that causes the tree to generate a lot of a lot of sap in the spring. So yeah, timing. Timing's everything. Is that, why were you thinking of maple syrup anyway, Tommy? Like what was the genesis for you? It came up for, for personal reasons for me to want to acquire some um, and yeah, I feel really bad after Oh last yeah, episode. we do have some follow-up. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah I feel yeah, really yeah. bad um, in the heat of the moments, uh, <laughs> <laughs> such as it is on this podcast, I very unfairly maligned um, Great State of Vermont and its maple syrup. Mm-hmm. So I apologize for that. This is my mea culpa, which is French or yeah, possibly yeah, Swiss you're, you're, you're for my dad. To Jim Allison, by the way. I think from, that's Latin, what, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's why. What's that? <laughs> 
<laughs> I was claiming here uh, that it was uh, that mea culpa would be uh, French or possibly Swiss or Swedish, whichever one I just said. I apologize for that one too. Yeah, yeah. But then you did put you did post this sort of gray goose equivalent, or was that Greg who posted this one? Well, that was me. I was kind of expecting that um, that there would be the gray goose bottle style equivalent, the the Jack Daniels style equivalent of like, oh yeah, like you know the even the Mrs. Butterworth's equivalent of uh, maple syrup for for Canada, but no Canadians, uh, they just get it out of the ground, shoot yeah, a hole well, in the is, ground, is, and up comes that bubbling crude. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny. Like the guy was saying on the on the Metro Morning that this is sort of like it's almost like a tri- Canadian tradition to kind of do this. I mean, I've never personally done it myself. I, I think I probably have poked a hole in a tree at one point, but you know, not for not for long. But um, but this is this uh, bottle that Jaime's got here, and we'll have a link in the show notes. Is uh, Ensuminiac? It looks like a, it looks like you know a very fancy, expensive bottle with you know with the wax. Uh, it's been dipped in wax to you know keep it fresh, and uh, there's different different colors of amber and different grades of, of uh, thing. You have to send me a link to where you got this picture from the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I've been That's been looking cool. into that. There's there's some that seem ultra Canadian. They've got the the flag yeah. on there. They've got French. It says from Quebec, so it feels even more Canadian. But no, apparently just you know whatever the the, the local store is in Canada. That's that's the way the true Canadians get it. Apparently, yeah. So I've got a link here to Sugarbush Sugarbush Farms in uh, I think it's Wood, Woodstock, Vermont, uh, where apparently they they quite take great pride in their maple syrup manufacturing. Jaime, <laughs> yes, and again, I'm really sorry for, uh, for for my unfair statements. Isn't Sugarbush yeah. a ski resort in Vermont too? It is. There's well, there's a Sugarbush uh, somewhere there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but this is Sugarbush Farm. Yeah, when you, if you Google Sugarbush, you get skiing information yeah, for sure. All right, what's next or whatever's next? Yeah, whatever's next is 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 right. This is follow up to the. I think it was the the, the time we were talking about documentation uh, on on Apple's developer site. Mm. So this is something that was floating around the interwebs called. Uh, it's a structure. It's a struct called GraphPort for a graphics port, which I had to go Google because the initializer here says instance properties var whatever, and then like a bazillion int sixteen declarations for the types. Mm. I'm sure I could count them up. I don't think you should really have to. It kind of makes sense that it's probably like you know a matrix of a specific size, but you wouldn't know that yeah. <laughs> what this does without a whole lot of external help because this documentation is uh, very sadly in need of love. Oh, you know, see, I was just looking at it on the Objective-C side, and it's pretty straightforward. It's just whatever 87 in square brackets. Um, and oh, yeah. It's t- a whole lot simpler in Objective-C. Look at that. Yeah, it's type wow. is short. I'm not sure what short means. Maybe Mark knows. Short is a uh, an integer type. Uh, okay. Probably probably a 16-bit integer these days. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. got it now, yeah. So maybe there's eight, maybe these uh, in, in, the, in the brackets in the Swiss side, there's like 87. You can count them up, like you said, right? Yeah, 87 <laughs> int 16 commas followed by, yeah. And this is sitting in the application. So what is the services. purpose of this whatever method? Yeah, do you know so what I this looked does? up graph port and it's short for graphics port. So it looks like it's older graphics rendering stuff. He says without having dug too deep into this, but there's it's just sad that there's like nothing uh, besides the silliness of the you know eighty seven int sixteen <laughs> and then the whatever uh, var that goes in there. Besides that, it's just silly that um, there's like not even the lazy sort of header up here, right? Of like, this handles graphics. 
this does foo buzz or fizz buzz. Yeah. Under application services, essential to carbon applications. Hmm. Quick draw and font manager, legacy technologies. Carbon. Yeah, uh, carbon. Huh? That wasn't carbon the. Uh, it was pre pre to pre uh, to. It was the, the thing that let you run iOS or X, uh, <laughs> Mac OS nine in Mac yeah, OS ten back in the day, something like that. It's supported in in Mac Catalyst thirteen, so it's still around. It says a collection of documents provides API reference to application services framework, which includes several services that are essential to carbon applications. The application services framework also includes support for a number of legacy technologies such as QuickDraw and Font Manager, and that have been superseded by the newer technologies Quartz 2D and Atsui, A-T-S-U-I. There you go. Yep. Developer from the Wikipedia article. Developers could use the Carbon APIs to port their classic Mac software to the Mac OS X platform with a little effort. Yeah. Classic right. meaning Mac OS 8 or 9. Carbon was officially discontinued and removed entirely with the release of Mac OS 10.15 Catalina. Oh, really? Hmm. So you caught the, whoever found this found it just in time. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the original source. Yeah. I saw it tweeted and retweeted a lot. I just thought it was astounding <laughs> to look at this one. <laughs> right. So. Oh. Following up again on Clearview AI, um, that article came out uh, uh, at the end of February there a few days ago. And this, of course, you know, it's another one of these things where we record one day and then something comes comes out the next day. Um, Apple has um, removed the Clear, Clearview AV, AI application from the App Store, being blocked by them, um, effectively banning the app from use for people. Yeah, um, not the, to clarify that, not the App Store. They were banned because they were distributing using enterprise provisioning profiles. Oh, were they bypassing the app store? So they got hit with the same thing that Facebook and Google and like a whole bunch of other people, the the child uh, child device management stuff. I had heard it was on uh, AWS too, and you could just go grab it, right? I mean, right? it very well could be. I mean, you, with the provisioning profile, you can just host it off of like your Jenkins yeah. or throw it on S3 or, sure. yeah. Okay, cool. Anyway, yeah. so the, this is following up to what we were saying last week. Sorry, Mark, are you going to say something? No, I said anyone who's still doing that kind of thing after so much publicity pretty much deserves to get kicked out, in my opinion. Yeah, true. So and speaking of deserving to get kicked out um our national police the rcmp who basically are our national mounted police but they're also uh, are the main police in jurisdictions where there isn't like a, a metro police force um they had denied using clearview ai um themselves in back in january and they have just yesterday uh, admitted that uh, they were in fact using it though so they've joined the other bunch of cops in uh, in canada that have been using it and claiming that they weren't i haven't heard too much about that story but uh, there you go there you have it I'm sure you know in about a week when after everything cools down they'll start yelling and screaming about it anywho i was really disappointed by this next story because i thought it was a, a real thing but it's not a real thing it's a coming attraction right? i mean it's it's in the follow-up section because it's uh and not the main topic section because we were talking last just last week of like wow wouldn't it be great if that same technology that went into the 16-inch MacBook Pro, which replaced the 15-inch, would go into a revised 13-inch. And one of you two said, hey, wouldn't it be like a 14-inch possibility? And that's what uh, Ming-Chi Kuo analyst who seems to have a, a pretty good sense of you know yeah, what's coming up in the pipeline yeah yeah seems to have the the insight and what the factory is working on uh is claiming that we'll be getting one uh soonish fourth quarter i think which quarter fourth quarter um i'm assuming he's not talking fiscal he's probably talking fourth quarter of the year because that would line up with the like september october release that apple usually does for yeah, these kinds of devices yeah. yeah their first quarter starts in november i think right um i think i think so something weird like that it's their their fiscal quarter is different from the calendar quarter yeah yeah well 
started in April. They were, I guess it wouldn't, wouldn't matter because April first is the day they were founded, right? Which I think is just great. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely like, I, I if this is coming out, I would have now got to wait a little, little bit more until you know, I get a new Mac. Because yeah, I definitely would take a look at this guy because I'd like to skip the whole butterfly keyboard if I can, just because of you know, not that I've had personally had problems with it, but I've seen problems with it. So. And uh, funny, they are loud. Some people type really loudly on them. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that in work in work work environments on the butterfly ones. Yeah, the yeah the yeah. Oh, there's not very much travel on those. Are they? I know. Are they pushing push extra them. hard because they want that tactile feedback of feeling like they've actually pushed I the button. I don't know. I guess yeah. I just some people like some. I've noticed that some some people I work with, you know, they kind of really hammer down on them, or, or I guess it's just they're sort of flappy, like they're just clicky. I don't know. They're, you know, I don't really notice it when I type, but uh, or other people. But yeah, there's a couple of people I work with. You can really hear them when they're whipping away. So, anywho, all right. Um, so yeah, then this next story. I guess this follows up on the on the uh, COVID nineteen as well. Um, this was an article by Jason Snell. Uh, we sort of raised this last this concern last week, and uh, not in so many words, but yeah, he's sort of come into. He's written an article here on in MacWorld, um, saying what happens if if and when Apple cancels WWC twenty twenty, uh, which is a real concern because I think we've um, we've seen most a lot of the major conferences. I think Facebook F eight is canceled. Google I O has been canceled. Uh, I don't know is the Microsoft one canceled? Do we, do we know yet? Build I don't and that's here in Seattle too. I don't I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to check. And not to mention that Santa Clara County, which is here where I am and which is where WDC is, has been something of a hotspot relatively for coronavirus so far. Oh, is it really? Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've had more than our share around here. I mean, I think we've had something like 15 cases in the county. Well, there's not just the the practicality of putting this many people in in one area, but I mean, like, you can just imagine the liability if something did happen and, you know, a bunch of people got sick from around the world or whatever, and they kind of pointed their finger back at the conference they went to, right? Um, yeah, well, I, I don't think Apple would necessarily, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think they'd be in any in in uh, legal jeopardy, but certainly it's not good press. No, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and he makes a point here, like, you know, and I think Mark sort of made that point last week that a lot of people down will actually go to WWDC, um, that uh, Apple has over the last, you know, I, I mean, I've been going for 10 years. I've, I've gone five times in the last 10 years. And, um, you know, the first year I went, it was, you know, we had the technology issue, with, I think it was the, the, when they rolled out the iPhone 4, and and uh, famously, Steve Jobs had that issue because people were chewing up the bandwidth with all their little MiFi boxes and chewing up all the, ban- the Wi-Fi bandwidth in the room. Um, and the, the whole week was brutal from, from trying to get a network connection uh, as you were sitting in, in each of the conferences or each of the sort of sessions, right? Um, and of course, they had like, you know, tables with Ethernet jacks you could plug in to download the, the sample softwares and stuff like that. But over time, and you know, they would they were filming the, the talks, but they didn't actually produce them or make them public until like three or four weeks after the conference was over. But, you know, fast forward to where we are today, now we're getting two or three sessions. Last week, I mean, last year we had three sessions that were live at a time, I believe. Um, so you could just sit at home and watch, uh, watch WWDC and, and didn't have to go there. The only thing you're missing here, and this is a major point that, that Jason Snow makes and that I make about going to conferences in general is the connecting with people and meeting other people and, you know, um, connecting with them. And the biggest thing is for me is um, when you, if you have a particular bug with or an issue with a framework or something like that, you can go to the labs and you can most often talk to the actual guys who work for Apple on that particular issue, right? So rather than having to file a radar and, you know, or open up a ticket and try and get support, you can actually sit next to the guy who's writing the code, right? So, which is another major advantage of going 
WWDC. But yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I, I don't think it would be a huge loss if we didn't have WWDC. I mean, it's a tradition to get, you know, they could do like a maybe a small invitation only or a small group uh, keynote kind of thing and just, you know, broadcast that like they do anyway. We'd watch it whether we were at home or, or in present in place, right? So. Yeah, it would be disappointing if it if it didn't happen, uh, but it wouldn't be the end of the world, I think. They certainly could do, from a, a technical program, could be identical, just streamed. I mean, it already is streamed. Uh, and as you said, yeah, you do miss out on the, uh, the face-to-face interaction with people, both other customers and Apple people. But, you know, what are you going to do, right? Yeah, you have to watch out for each other, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is kind of interesting because there's been sort of different takes on this. And I think um, Jason Snell's is probably the most, rational that I've seen. Um, doing stuff that scales is, is pretty important. And when you look at WWDC, the, the in-person version, um, there's like 5,000 people who get to go. And even if every single one of those got to a lab, and you can't because they can't handle that many people in the labs, uh, that's 5,000 out of the, what, what did you say earlier, Tim? 20 million? So yeah, 20 million. Yeah. Very it's t- a very small percentage. Very yeah. tiny fraction of developers were actually getting um, uh, that extra special care and attention. Cool ticket yeah, from that yeah. right and it, it just doesn't scale with where apple is at now so i do think that um you know the, the keynotes and the sessions are actually pretty easy to to live stream um they've clearly got the tech and the know-how to do it they do a really good job of it and i do think that it shouldn't be that big of an issue to do the labs in some sort of remote way um in fact it scales even better than the in-person one because before it would be hey um i i need a you know, slack with a few of my teammates and make sure I know all the questions that they wanted me to ask because I was the one who got to go and they couldn't, right? Now your whole team can join on the call and, and understand what's, what's being said directly. So I think that it's actually better except for the fact that you don't get to like go shake a person's hand and get to know them a little bit more personally, right? There's that downside. And I think by far the hardest thing is the the fact that you, you do lose out on the sort of serendipitous stuff of being out and about running to people in the hallways or it's the accidental encounters too right yeah yeah yeah, you you can't really replicate that in any sort of reasonable way at that scale for uh, a remote conference yeah i think it's interesting that you raised the point about slack too because you know we didn't have slack 10 years ago we didn't have it five years ago and you know we didn't have that sort of access to people like it's it's like we've mentioned it before on the show it's refreshing to see that um apple employees are now taking credit for the work on you know on the social networks of the world, right? And and that they're they're able to discuss not quite openly, but they're able to discuss with people and chat with people about different things, right? Um, you know, they still have their they're, they're still siloed and they have their their you know inability to disclose you know, technical details of things. But I mean, that's another avenue that we didn't have before. We didn't have this, you know, um, like when you go to when you go to the lab, you go you walk into the you go to the reception, you have to book a time, you know, you have to stand there and wait for the guy to become free, and and they kind of go through as many people as they can. So it's kind of like, you know, like they do with the geniuses at the Apple store. You kind of have to book the time with them and you get, you know, um, you get to sit with them for however long you need, but, you know, they want to get onto the next person. So maybe there's a, a virtual way they could do that now that we have technologies like Slack and WebEx and things like that, right? Um, they could make a virtual lab for people per se, right? Right. How would they How would they filter out who gets to do it though? I mean, part of the, part of the unfortunate part of having to have a ticket and be there in person 
person is it filters out the 20 million down to 5,000 and it makes it actually reasonable to have people from Apple there talking to customers. Whereas if it were just an open online thing where you could try to try to book time online, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. would be impossible to actually get time to talk to anyone. I mean, like, like honestly, when have you ever filed a radar and gotten an instant response, right? As it is, it, it, it's tough enough for them to, to you know meet all of our requirements. And, and it's almost a joke to the point where people talk, we joke about filing radars, right? And just throwing it into, it's like throwing it over your shoulder and hoping somebody receives it, right? But but the, what do they call them? The service, uh, what do they call them? The, where you where you officially ask for help and you have a certain number yeah. of them, tickets, yeah, you know, yeah, whatever two, they call that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dev relations, the dev relations people. Um, yeah, those mean, actually, I've had, I've had very good experiences with those. Once you get connected to a person uh, by email, uh, I've had long, very fruitful conversations with them. So those work pretty well. Yeah, I, I do think that they might have to come up with some sort of scheme, like like maybe it is a paid option, right? Like, you know, WWDC live stream only is, is free for everyone, but if you want to do the labs, it's X amount of money to, and, and probably still a lottery system even then, because there's probably still a ton of people who would want to take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, but then when you throw money at, at when you when you throw money at a, a situation like that, then you know the the ones who can afford it are going to jump at it, right? And, and that's why I think it. you do it as a um, as a lottery, right? Instead of like a yeah. like an auction. Yeah. Um, I do also think because it's interesting. Like you mentioned the developer relations thing. Like uh, Apple apparently does have those kinds of people. It's sort of weird because they they're not a traditional kind of of team that does that. As far as I can mm-hmm. tell, um, yeah. they they don't seem to have a, a very big team, and they're not out and about. Uh, and, customers. and interestingly enough, uh, in my experience, the, the when you go into the Apple dev, uh, dev forums and just randomly ask questions, there are Apple people yeah. on there answering questions. Yeah, those are the same people who are assigned to your ticket when you're doing one of these dev support. Tests. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So they they are pretty knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I've had I've had uh, like either either through support contracts or or yeah, I've had tra- I've had opportunities to deal with like server side guys and stuff like that when I'm dealing with issues or or yep. unbreaking phones. There's people who are specialists at that, right? I am kind of hoping that this might spur uh, Apple in particular to go towards more uh, scalable sort of one-to-many sort of uh, opportunities to help folks. Um, whether we're talking about the the, the hypothetical uh, video chat or, or support uh, in the labs. But I also think they could do more things like some of the other big wigs in the tech community like uh, Microsoft and Google and Facebook really come to mind where their developer relations teams are constantly putting out new content that's like hey here's this cool right. thing you can right. do with a product or oh here's this problem you almost certainly have and we apologize for it but here's how we work around it um apple tends to put out much fewer granted very very high quality stuff like you know, it's usually pick of the week material when it's like oh look at this cool new session that came out in the middle of the year but i would like to see more of that stuff come out so that it's not dependent on wow everybody has to try to collect in this tiny little area on on the surface of the planet to try to get some answers versus uh, hey maybe we can just have more more blog posts more um, more videos coming out that yes they will take time but they'll be able to help many more people than uh, just sort of random chance and random opportunity to get into a session or sorry a lab session yeah I mean this whole thing about the lottery and the get, having to win the golden ticket I mean that just sort of points to the, the finger at the fact that that whole process is broken of you know having this conference that, that anybody has a fair 
chance of getting to. I mean, yes, a lottery is a fair chance, but I mean, so maybe this will just give Apple and companies like Apple an opportunity to, to examine what they could do in a different way, in a different format, right? Yeah. So Apple's had a good 10 years or so knowing that there was this demand issue yeah. and they have not done anything to correct it, which leads me to believe that they're perfectly aware and they're perfectly fine with it for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's what I mean. We've all been complaining on podcasts and, and small groups, you know, the, right. those of us who are interested in going that, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's ludicrous that we have to line up at three o'clock in the morning to buy a phone and online. I mean, the fact that we can buy them online instead of having to go to a store and stand in line, you know, that's, that's great. That's, that's an improvement. But, you know, given that where we are, it's 2020, why are we still dealing with stuff that we were dealing with in 2010, right? Because Apple's getting some benefit out of it. That's true. Out of the hype. Yeah. They, yeah. That's no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 So I think if things go smoothly here, this might end up to be a pretty good opportunity to start rethinking um, bringing back the the tech talks as even virtual sort of things as well, right? They don't have to shove everything necessarily into WWDC. If something's not ready to roll, like, that's fine. We'll do it in a couple months and we'll have a tech talk on this brand new technology that's coming out in the point release and we'll run it the same way that WWDC runs um, since we don't and it's even better because we don't have to plan to be out in you know 10 different cities around the world like they had to do with the tech talks and they can just sort of pre-prep it as well right and have the videos pre-made well like we have WebEx we have Zoom we have technologies now like we're using Zoom right now right and we're having we meet once a week and we don't have we have yes we have technical issues but it's totally possible like we do this all the time at work we have a corporation and we have like you know three four five six locations and people are you know on different floors and we have meetings all the time with 20 or 30 people in, on the call right we have the capability for someone to share their screen and do a presentation you don't necessarily have to be in the room so you can use some sort of telepresence technology apple could do this they could have like a lottery system where you get a golden ticket to dial in at two o'clock on you know san francisco time and watch the the talk on blah 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 right um it's doable right it's just you know and, and like you said, the tech talks, they don't like the, the difference with the tech talks is they would go to the major cities and, you would, you know, maybe a couple of thousand people would, would get to go in and be in the room with the Apple, the Apple engineers. Right. But um, there's no reason why they couldn't just do the same thing virtually. Right. I mean, now WWDC doesn't have to cancel. It could just be like virtual. It could be online. Right. And you dial into it to join it. Right? right. Who knows? There's smart guys over there at Apple. Hopefully they'll figure something out or they'll just sell us another phone. We'll buy it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, let's move on to our main content here. What do you got for us, Jaime? First one here is this um, sort of lengthy article from Facebook Engineering Group on Project Lightspeed, which is their project mm-hmm. to rewrite their Messenger app for iOS as a faster, smaller, and simpler app. So it's uh, reduced core code by 84% from 1.7 million lines down to 360,000. And they talk about some various different techniques that they use, some of which to me seem, they seem a little silly. <laughs> like this was some of it was uh, sort of a self-invented problem that was the reason right. for this, right? So some of the things are like, hey, where the OS, the operating system does stuff, we should use that. Yes, you should. <laughs> and you'll hear that many times <laughs> as a repeating theme on the show of like, you know, for, for, for some of the things they were talking about, like uh, JSON decoding and uh, logging and um, I forget what the other thing was, UI layout or something, I think. Uh, it's been pretty common for them to, to create bespoke stuff that, as they mentioned here, makes sense for local metrics. Like you, you could prove that, hey, this was better in some sort of way for some particular case. But then when you took a step back and said, wait a minute, this doesn't make it all sense for the entirety of the app. Um, and they also talk about some things that also seem a little silly to me uh, and, and 
I'll be fair. There'll, there'll be some good stuff coming up that I want to talk about. Uh, another silly bit of thing was like, oh, maybe we should not have views that are repeated with slight variations. You know, 16 different v- versions, I think they said, of the uh, the contact list view. That sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> I don't see any reason why you would ever have 16 of them. That sounds like a bad idea. Um, the parts that, that were a little bit more interesting to me and, and a big reason for me bringing this on the show is their use of SQLite as not only a storage database, but also is the means by which they've encapsulated rules that can be reusable for here is how you can construct a little bit of UI. And so if you want some UI to be on the screen in a very particular order or in a different order, cool. You can do these lookups and you can build it. It's like they've built their own, um, you know, like form builder. If you've ever built that kind of software where it's very customizable, uh, it follows these particular rules. As long as you can do these rules, you can extend this out as far as you want. It seems like that's what they've built. And they are also moving a lot of the uh, the logic that's difficult to handle as an entirety of like, all right, what happens if somebody comes online and at the same time we're trying to send a message to them? So now message counts have to change and we also have to change the when was the last time this person was seen and so on and so forth. It's, it's hard to, to deal with queuing those all up, doing it all within the app and stitching it together. I've lived that kind of life. It's painful. They moved a lot of that sort of heartache at the very least um, over to the server side. And they did it from what I read here as a, uh, a topic we've talked about in the show months ago, I think uh, a BFF, not best friends forever. This is a backend for front end where existing Facebook services continue to operate as they, they, uh, they always did, but they put a, um, a bit of a, a front end in front of their backend that is still backend as considered by the app, but it does all of the nitty gritty coordination of stitching together information from the various services that we're being talked to. So in uh, one of the pictures. It's not animating for me, unfortunately. That was animating for me on mobile. Oh, well, I don't know why it's not, but trust me, they they had an, an image, a GIF in this article that showed how all of these different features rendered as a very trypophobic set of dots were all individually trying to talk to a whole bunch of little dots on the other side, on the server side, and trying to coordinate everything. But instead, what they did was they said, well, cool, now everything goes through the database, the SQLite database, and then some other mechanism, the MSYS system that they created, does the coordination with the backend. And the backend has its own coordination system, right? It has this broker on that side that is brokering all of the different interactions, providing a singular interface to the, the, uh, to the client, to the iOS app in this case, to what's ultimately those Facebook web services on the background. So I said a lot of words, comments, thoughts, anything else you guys got out of this? Isn't that just what GraphQL does? GraphQL does do that. And they don't mention GraphQL specifically as, as part of their, their answer for this. That's Um, interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, uh, let me do a search for here. Because GraphQL is a Facebook technology version. So it's surprising that they wouldn't use that. Yeah. There's no name dropping here of GraphQL. Um, which is a little surprising. It is, like you said, um, being able to broker and get things is a uh, a feather in the cap of GraphQL. Um, I don't know. I don't know why they, they don't have it. And, and this MSYS system that they mentioned that coordinates doing the, the network handling and stuff um, and, and dealing with uh, threading issues, if I can find it. Um, oh, there we go. MSYS is a cross-platform library built in C. It operates all the primitives we need. It solidates the stuff that they want to have a, a global view of what's happening with the data. I'm kind of hoping they'll end up 
open sourcing that because I'd like to see what it does under the covers. And hypothetically, mm. it could be something that the, the community could make use of. Yeah, I think the, the key part here, if you don't go through the server part, is the SQLite database as a universal system where the UI views are pretty much just rendering uh, what is reflected as tables in the database. And I feel like that will probably work pretty well with unidirectional data flow with something like Swift UI. Sounds to me like a fetch results controller. <laughs> you know, uh, what's old is new again, right? I, yeah, I think, yeah, <laughs> on yeah. some episode at some point, this, this is almost follow-up now. We have mentioned that I had, when somebody had asked me, you know, what's a senior engineer, say, well, somebody who's uh, been experienced enough to have seen fads go out of favor and come back into favor again, at least once. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen that happen at least once in your career, you're probably not senior yet, regardless yeah. of your, your technical capability. You just don't have the the wisdom of getting beat up by by fashions and fads going in and out of, of the, the wheel of time cycle. Yeah, besides you're wrong, it's a Facebook results control. Right, right. Completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys see the, the iOS architecture um, site? Uh, um, I think you might have sent it to me, Jaime, where you, you click on something and it, it automatically figures out the next iOS architecture you're going to use. I'm not sure if we used it on, if we talked about this on the show before. We did. And I'm, I'm, it's like our iOS architecture dot top or something. Yeah. You spin the wheel and it just randomly gives you like a, the next, you know, like model, the model view controller, you know, model view, view model. Uh, it gives you that kind of. Uh, yeah. There you go. iOS architecture dot top, T-O-P. Yeah. T -O -P, I went there right. and I got MVI, model view interactor, where you can have <laughs> IMSV interactor model singleton view wow this one's really close to being fully capable Inter IVRS interactor view router store that's all you need what else yeah, could you, you possibly need, need you don't need MSYS you can just use you don't even need a router if you use Swift UI <laughs> <laughs> that's true. true they don't have routers yeah, well, yeah. alright um, Xcode build settings so this is a website that from our friend over at Matt Triple T I believe uh, has put together this site that uh, and it's all in dark mode what, what is dark mode all the time Mine's you mean true mode it, this is true this is the way nature Nature intended us to see. Uh, uh, please send your angry emails to Tim. Um, yeah, I'm a dark <laughs> I'll, I'll mode enthusiast and, and, and believer. I, I have make everything dark mode where possible, and I didn't make this one specifically, but it does honor my system setting of dark mode, which I appreciate. Yeah, mine, mine went dark mode on me too. I'm just because I'm always worried that I'm missing like the, the, some text or whatever just got rendered incorrectly. But yeah, no, it seems to be working properly. So what this is 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 a uh, a site that lists all kinds of Xcode build settings that you may come across so you may need to know about in developing or building and shipping and building your apps, right? So he's broken it down into all the different parts of um, the Xcode build system uh, and gives you sort of the, the what the true name is, like, you know, simple things like target name, project name, you know, uh, SDK root, uh, all these sort of properties. And you can go through the whole thing. It's got like, you know, core build system. It's got, you know, strip symbols, uh, create static libraries, you know, different kind of utilities. It, it separates out the Swiss stuff and the Clang stuff, Metal and Open OpenGL, um, interface builder uh, things, you know. Uh, so it's kind of a quick little reference to all the sort of bits and pieces that make up your Xcode build system that maybe you didn't even know were there because Apple's so good at hiding them. So I don't know if you guys have flipped through this at all. I had a chance Apple to look at it, but it looks pretty useful. Uh, there's so many settings in there that sometimes you don't know what some of them do or you can never find the one that you, that you want. So this seems like it might be kind of useful. Yeah, I searched for ARC or A-R-C-A, Arch for architecture. I guess I remember 
remember when that was a thing. You didn't have to go enable new architectures like the RV7S when that was the new hotness. And and this definitely would have been helpful then. I think, uh, you know, since we were just mentioning Facebook, they're uh, the ones who famously said that like Xcode doesn't scale to, to their needs. I kind of feel like part of that is uh, something that Apple could address. I, I think you don't necessarily need to make your own radical build system. I think um, it's a little silly when I, let's see, let me clear out my search. What is it? 1,410 build items that could be build settings. Yeah. Yeah. It could be changed. That's a lot. I'm sure they're all perfectly necessary, but I would really like it if Xcode really started moving towards the idea of making XC configs sort of the, the standard way in which people do things like having things be really clear of like what in the world, why, why is this not working the way I want? Oh, cause the new Xcode beta has some other XC config item that we don't have there. There we go. It's not this mysterious world of what's going on. Uh, Xcode has changed our, our project file uh, build settings. And now there's like a million different things and I can't find the, the needle in the haystack of the bazillion different things that are showing up in this, uh, this get diff to try to figure out why did it stop working? Um, I think clearing out things through XC config is a, it seems fairly controversial when I've brought it up in other contexts. It seems like a lot of people don't agree with me. And I think that's fair because I don't know the, having not done a project that went all in to everything is done through XC config and there's absolutely nothing in the, uh, the build settings within the, the project file to have to deal with yourself. Um, when trying to deal with multiple team members, all trying to add stuff and change stuff. Um, either of you two have experience with going this route, going in on XC config. But, but I, mean, I see, I see what you're getting at where the value of having XC configs, especially in a, in a version control world where the, where the project file is this enormous thing that if something changes in there, it's, it's pretty hard to figure out sometimes what changed and where it changed. So if, if all the settings were just, were just controlled by a, a file that was, uh, independently version controlled. And, and so everyone on the team just has access to that, that file in their build settings or whatever, uh, then you could, you could relieve some of that difficulty. It makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know what the downside is. It sounds like your coworkers though have run into issues or is it just a little bit of fear, uncertainty and doubt about it? Hard to say. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I, and I don't work with those people anymore. So I don't know if, you know, what that, what the specific reasons were. Um, it could be older versions of Xcode or something that did terrible things, but um, yeah. I've also seen yeah. people, uh, there's a community of folks. I don't know how big it is. You've said like, yeah, um, I think James Dempsey has a, from, um, Tim, you've, you've played, what's the, the breakpoints, conditional breakpoints. Break yeah, yeah. Um, they, he has a, a tool, I think, I don't know if it's maintained anymore, but he had a tool at some point that would go through and grab all of your, your, uh, your build settings and, and turn them into XC config settings. Mm. Cool. James Dempsey, XC, FC config, link in the show notes, new build system for build settings extractor. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So I have to say, this is, is definitely a first world problem, but it would be very useful if only because, uh, you know, I don't always spend time looking at the um, the Git view, uh, whether that's an external tool or uh, the one that's within Xcode itself. Like, it doesn't necessarily jump to mind of like, aha, I must have changed the build setting somewhere. That's why this is not building the way I want. Because sometimes I don't always intentionally make a build setting change. I might have been looking at the build settings and then, you know, my my fingers are, are twitchy from too much coffee or something. And I accidentally, you know, click something and it's just, you know, fancy UI for P lists is all it is and not notice that one of those things flipped to to bold meaning i've overridden it in some way that has horribly broken my my build and now i'm totally confused it's like i didn't change any code it's like what's going on here all right so who put the hired uh, 2020 state of software engineers link here oh that's me sorry I, yeah so hired.com hired.com one of those those places that helps people you know get uh, get engineering jobs they 
they've got some stats here. So I'm kind of interested in some of their, their state of uh, software engineers for 2020, right? So in, in 2019, as an example, average salaries for top roles went up by a lot in, in a fair amount of places. 13% in London, 7% in Toronto, 7 in New York, and 6% in the Bay Area. There's a lot of other things in the, in the top 10 sort of uh, takeaways here. Um, hottest jobs it's kind of interesting to see how that's changed. They've got 2018 and 2019. Uh, looks like AR VR engineer. I don't know how many of these jobs there are. It seems like a, a, a law of small, of small numbers here that's happening. 1400% growth in that. That seems a bit high. In which when? In 2019, the year over year growth in augmented reality, virtual reality oh, engineering VR, jobs. Yeah, yeah. You know, 1,400% is a lot because the next big one, which is actually a pretty big jump, is gaming engineer at 146% growth. So that's interesting. So that one is more interesting to me because game engineers uh, as, a, as a group are a much more, um, it's a much more mature sort of industry than, than AR VR, right? So I can understand why, you know, uh, he pulls a number out of the air that there was 500 AR VR jobs in 2018. And now there's whatever that is to get it up to 1400%, right? It was a small number and it, and it grew, but but games have, have been around for a long time and have grown dramatically during the, the early days of the App Store era and, and are still large. So to see it go year over year as a 146% is, is interesting to me. It's surprising. I mean, you, you look at something like um, like full stack engineer only grew by 5%. It's like, well, because there's a lot of full stack engineering jobs, right? So mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. good steady growth, not uh, go get rich growth. Like blockchain engineer last year was up by 15%, whereas this year um, only up by nine. So slowing growth in the blockchain engineer sort of uh, opportunities. What's a computer vision engineer? Oh, I guess it's using computer vision. Yeah, I, I, I guess, it, well, I mean, we were talking about somebody who probably does use that, right? Like Clearview yeah. AI, as an example, yeah. probably doing a lot of vision work to try to figure out stuff related to imagery. Yeah, we did a lot of, a lot of that at my previous company, the drone company. So analyzing incoming video to figure out what's going on in the scene. Well, and, so, and also drone manufacturer, but also in, in self-driving cars and things like that too. Yeah, absolutely. Important. Absolutely. Yep. Although self-driving cars don't necessarily use video, they might use LIDAR, but they probably, I'm sure they use some video. Right. Uh, salary trends here are interesting. So Seattle is sadly not represented in this setup. <laughs> They've got London, New York, and I think mm -hmm. SF Bay Area and Tirana are the ones that are kind of interesting yeah, asking yeah. you. So, so Mark, are you noticing these numbers here? So they have, as an example, um, search engineer, which in 2019 would have been 157K, but is up 5% at 165K for a 2020 salary. Is that... Yeah. Uh, this is a pretty meaning? awfully displayed chart, in my opinion. Yeah. It's a very, yeah. very deceiving. poor way very to deceiving. get this data across. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think these are probably reasonable numbers. Yeah. For like an average. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. They're not, they're not too far out and like not too high, not too low. They seem like, yeah, yeah you, you, you could know a set of people and we'll have the, the link in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Um, it seems like, yeah, people would roughly get this sort of stuff. Yep. Yep. For sure. Cool. Cool. And then switching over to Tirana, which has a different set of engineers. So whereas the Bay area is really hot right now for, uh, natural language processing, security, and search. Toronto is all about machine learning, data, and NLP, national, natural, national, <laughs> natural language processing. Mm -hmm. But it actually isn't though, right? That's only a 1% growth. The chart oh, just displayed in a really crazy yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So where's the yeah. biggest jump? Search engineer. Yeah. There you go. From yeah. 87K to 113K, a 30% year over year change. Yep. What does a search engineer do? I have a guess based on some information. Mark, do you have a bit? It's, it seems like it's a hot thing in the Bay Area. Do you, you have a better insight than my, my speculation? I'm not really sure. I mean, I, 
guess it's optimizing, you know, op- like figure out how to how to optimize queries and things like that uh, to to search large databases. Yeah, that's that my guess. That was giving me my guess because stuff like Elasticsearch yep. is pretty popular, yep. right? So that's open source. AWS has its own hosted instance of it. People will quite often you just slap it in front of your data and call it good because it does a lot of stuff out of the box for you. But there's a, a lot of tuning when you have like truly massive data sets that you want to be, you know, uh, you, we want to make a product catalog search and uh, we want our uh, data entry folks to be able to look up stuff so they could see historical records, that sort of thing. So my math, you know, it's too bad I don't have Tammy on the show to, to um, know what's going on with the math here, but that's, that's search engineer there, the 87K to 113K and a 30% growth. Look at the graphic is like completely weird. Yeah, the graphic is nuts. Yeah. So the way they've rendered I mean, it here, more orange is good is yeah. the way I'm getting it. <laughs> Not the absolute because that's why I got confused where, so like the top end number, 116K for the machine learning engineer, and this is Canadian dollars, versus 113K for a uh, search engineer. It's like, oh, it looks pretty pretty similar. But like, Whoa, wait a minute. But this tiny little 87K uh, relative yeah. to that and amount that I just mentioned, this is the 108K. It's not, at all, it's not at all clear what the length of the bar means, right? The top one is 116K. Next one's 114K. The next one's 113K. Okay, they're getting smaller. But then again, the next one is 113K and it's longer. Yeah, it's... I. It, it's so hard to look at these across because 94, would you guys agree that 94K and 87K are very similar numbers? Yeah, I would think sure. so. That's what I was complaining so, about. Yeah. But but the the 87K, if you take the literal length of these bars, the, the gray bar is less than half of the 94K bar from a different yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. It's very, yeah. you know, data visualization. Uh, maybe there should be some more, more jobs to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe using Google charts or something like that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, it looks like the blockchain engineer engineer in toronto went down yeah the yeah. minus two percent we're gonna oh. get so many angry letters tim i apologize in advance but um i do think <laughs> that a lot of the the luster is is coming off of of blockchain as people are starting to you know we're talking about hype cycles right i think we're over, we're rapidly going into the trough of disillusionment now that uh, various um financial government bodies like the sec the security and exchange commission in america have no idea what it is in your country, whoever might be listening, I guarantee you have one. A lot of different countries are like, hey, a lot of this blockchain stuff that was related to cryptocurrency, pretty much straight up scams. <laughs> so maybe we yeah, should yeah. Uh, you know, stop this in- enthusiasm a little bit and, and keep people from getting hurt. And I think now that the the, the easy money, the get rich quick schemes and people like Steven Seagal yeah. and uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Mayweather, the boxer and a whole bunch of other celebrities have gotten hit with like, oh, I'm promoting blah, blah, blah coin. Whoops, I didn't just close the fact that these people paid me in that coin and so i have a a, it's basically an ad now because i have a vested interest in this thing going up that i'm promoting right Mm. um now i think people are are starting to come around towards okay what can we really do with this technology versus let's get rich quick pyramid scheme type stuff so i'm gonna that's a very long-winded way again send your angry emails to tim uh saying (laughs) why the uh interest is lower this year uh, for blockchain engineers than it was in years past. Yeah. yeah. I like what Craig Ferguson used to to say. We look forward to your letters. Yeah. (laughs) I miss this show. That was a good show. Yeah. One of the better ones. Yeah, for sure. Did you guys take a peek at most in-demand coding languages across the globe? This is by uh, interview request. So um, 
Go, Scala, Ruby, TypeScript, Kotlin, Objective-C, hmm. JavaScript, okay. and Swift <laughs> is where I'm going to stop uh, Stop reading those. Are the, uh, this is the number of interview requests per candidate on hired in 2019. Of so, these questions? Oh, I so see. I, I read this one as these are the ones that people would list as skills they have, okay. and they would get more more interest from companies looking to hire. So you're saying if I put Go, Scala, and Ruby on my re- resume, I'm more likely to get an interview? Uh, apparently. So if we... <laughs> if we <laughs> More likely to pass the interview. <laughs> no, that's another story. I just want yeah. to say, oh, did I put that on there? Oh, I must must have typoed that one. Yeah. Sorry. And they've got a little map here for like in-demand coding languages by market. So yeah. we can look over at Tirana. So TypeScript, PHP, and Scala are your, your yeah. top three with JavaScript just out, just on the outside looking in, as opposed to say, uh, you know, let's go to the Bay Area. So Scala, Go, Ruby, your top three. New York is Go, Ruby, Scala. And London has TypeScript, Go and Scala. Where are you seeing that? Sorry. It's on a map that's just on the next section down. Yeah, that with the weird sort of like U-Haul sort of like the map of Canada is very distorted there. Hover over city for details. Well, I'm hovering, but nothing's happening. Maybe my pop-ups are blocked or something. Oh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm running Ghostry and as a... Oh, maybe it's Ghostry. And it's not stopping me, but I, I don't have it tuned anyway, so take my word for it. Mm, okay, oh well. I, I'm just I'm just, I'm just surprised at how the, you know, Canada looks like a, like they ran out of, out of, you know, gray material to make the map, right? I would just sort of like forget if you if sorry folks if you're in British Columbia Saskatchewan or Manitoba apparently you you don't exist so and you ha- only half of Quebec exists and then nothing no none of the uh, the eastern provinces are represented here so sorry about that folks I think that was an unfortunate consequence of trying to make a graphic that includes the very massive United yeah. States and yeah. like, shove London in you know yeah, just off like the, the coast Kingdom of Florida just off the coast of exactly it's up to that's the true that's true it's, it's, uh, it's now off the coast of Florida. Cheap and easy flights there. from Jamaica and Cuba exactly. to London. Right. Yeah. Got rid of Cuba and replaced it with Ireland and England. Yeah, that's true. The map not to scale, right? <laughs> um, and then sort of continuing on this. So that was talking about, you know, the, the kinds of skills that would get you the kinds of interviews requests. On, 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 to be fair, um, the data sampling is coming from a hired.com. Mm-hmm. So your, your mileage or kilometerage may vary. But when we look at the, the data for most commonly used programming languages by software engineers. So right. what do people normally do? And most kind com- of- let's rephrase that. Most commonly used software by engineers who applied to hired. Yes, right. And and I think right. we should take all of these different data sets. Like when we talk about GitHubs and we talk about, um, what was it? Was it JetBrains that we had? We covered one of theirs at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, we see some patterns, right? Like JavaScript is always number one. Just always. JavaScript is the, the language of the people, we might call it, right? It's, it's always there. If you got a browser, you, you got a language there that you can run. Uh, Python, Java, HTML, which is kind of interesting. They, they, they use that as language and not markup. Uh, and TypeScript. And then, uh, bigger drop-off where um, way down towards the bottom here, Swift, Kotlin, and Objective-C mm-hmm. are, are a lot less, uh, at least for folks using Hired.com. So again, this is more than just mobile engineers. So it's kind of not surprising that web engineers and back engineers have a lot of, of stuff that's going on here. Um, data engineers, right? People doing Python, doing other things, uh, R for like data. Yep. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot here. So that's there's even more we could talk about if y'all wanted to. If not, we've got the link in the show notes. So those of you driving no. Yeah, definitely take a look at it. I'm just scrolling through, see if there's anything that sticks out here. For the love of coding. These are the top 10, sorry, the top, it's only four of them, the top four 10-year career goals. So mm-hmm. what do you want to be in 10 years? Number one, continue building cool things. That makes sense. Engineers like to build stuff.
yourself. For the ambitious, at number two is to become a technology leader, such as a senior vice president or chief technology officer. Hmm. Or number three, to be a product leader. So folks who want to do something a little bit more at the intersection of uh, humanities and technology. Uh, and number four, for those of you who've uh, gotten a little bit annoyed and want to be self-employed, uh, start their own company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Majority of software engineers are early birds and nearly half the, half would rather work in an office every day than be 100% remote. These are myths of engineers. Wait, so I have feels. So I so I I happen to be a night owl, um, yeah. but I don't proclaim to be very um, similar to, to other yeah. folks. So yeah. I, I could be convinced that majority, so so 51% at a minimum here for majority, yeah. uh, are early birds. I, I could believe that. Well, scroll down a little bit. It actually has a number of 66% early birds, according okay. to this, and 34% sleep in and work late. I don't think I believe that number. Just based I on, don't either. Just based on coworkers that I've had over many years at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every every project manager or product manager who's ever had to put uh, stuff on the calendar every time i've talked to them they're like we never do meetings before 10 a.m if engineers are involved yeah, yeah. that's true yeah. <laughs> uh but I, I i have a hard time understanding the 47 percent of people who come into an office every day is their preference so the the tweet here says you know uh nearly half would rather work it's like so what you're saying is the majority would rather work remotely 100 percent of the time mm-hmm. it's spinning the narrative i'm surprised it's even that close um Engineers like electronic and dance music for, for productivity. I feel like that's a bit much. That's that's too. <laughs> maybe, it's too, maybe too anxious. Maybe it's the me. only engineers. Oh, that's only uh, engineers who are out of work and looking for jobs that hired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, satisfied with the job and looking for a job yeah. hired. Yeah. Rock sounds pretty good. I tend to prefer classical because there's no words and it tends to not be quite as like you know jammy and, and sort of distracting me from from what I'm doing. Hmm. Yeah, of all these four seasons available on Apple Music. <laughs> Not a sponsor of this podcast. Just put it on repeat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Let's do our picks. What do you say? Sure. We've got we have split picks this week. It looks like so. You got a pick, and we'll come back to you after your other pick. What do you got here? Mm-hmm. First one is on uh, Swift.org that is uh, announcing Argument Parser, which is an open source library. It makes it easier to parse command line arguments in Swift. So if you've gotten into the habit of writing command line utilities in Swift, Swift is definitely designed with that in mind. Um, mm-hmm. Handling command line arguments is something that you, you sort of just had to roll your own, or I guess perhaps find another library out there that did this. A lot of scripting type languages like Python are probably Ruby and definitely stuff like um, Perl, like handles this really, really well out of the box. Um, Swift itself doesn't, but now you've got argument parser that can do that sort of thing. So I think it's pretty nice. I haven't tried this out myself, but if you read this blog post, it's not very long. You can do it over a coffee break. Seems pretty reasonable in terms of how you can validate your options and throw. Um, very specific errors to user of like, hey, when you use this command, it's supposed to be a string and, and not an integer type of thing. Mm. The the one cool thing here is where they're using property wrappers. So the, the at argument is an example. Property wrapper indicates that the property should be drawn from a command line argument. I think that's pretty cool as a way to, to parse these different things from the command line, just sort of map it for you, which is nice. You don't have to do a lot of the sort of boilerplate of stitching stuff together. You just more or less declare like, hey, this thing is at argument, high value as an integer. And then if that doesn't want to parse properly, you've got the validation hooks that you can throw and say, hey, you, you gave me something that's not an integer. Sorry, I can't help you. Please make it an integer. Cool. All right. So my, my, uh, I guess my pick is in keeping with the, with the theme of the show. Uh, this is posted by Daniel Steinberg today on Twitter. Uh, I will link to a website called isitcancelledyet.com. Um, and of course, 
Google I.O. at the top there is, yes, it's cancelled. South by Southwest, no, it is not cancelled. Microsoft Build, as of the time that this is created, not, uh, I think this is an image. No, it's text. Uh, Microsoft Build is a no. WWDC is not cancelled yet. The 2020 Olympics is not cancelled yet. Uh, the TED conference, we're not sure about. GDC, yes, it's cancelled. Oh, the game conference, that's interesting. Coachella, sadly, no, it's not cancelled. E3, no. Google Reader, yes. PAX West. Chris Matthews apparently is cancelled. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> um, that green coat from Amazon, yes, it's cancelled. Um, Adobe Summit, yes, it's cancelled. Uh, Doctors Without Borders, donate here. There's a link to donate to them. Uh, F8, as we mentioned before, Facebook conferences cancelled. Handshakes are cancelled. Uh, hugs, uh-oh. Fist bumps are not cancelled. Internet Free Festival, yes, it's cancelled. Disney Plus Launch Event, I may, it's also cancelled. Um, BTS April Concert is cancelled. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know where that would be, though. Where is BTS playing in April? Um, the OA on Netflix is cancelled as well. Dell World is not cancelled. The Louvre is, Louvre is cancelled. Hmm, interesting. I assume that means uh, they're closing down. It's not like they set it, it on it fire. Again. No, no, they closed down, but they reopened. Did they? So this oh, is okay. outdated information. Okay, all right. So apparently the apocalypse is not cancelled. Yeah. So. We do have an election coming. I, that's funny. I, in, <laughs> I interpreted that as like a weirdo side Pacific Rim sort of meme. Oh, this thing? With, yeah. with Idris Elba, the apocalypse. We are canceling the apocalypse. No? Yeah. Mm. We'll cover it in Spotcast. <laughs> it's a crossover the episode. Will not be televised. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, the revolution. Yeah, sadly, I'm guessing this person, Chill Image, uh, at Chill Image on, on Twitter, I was hoping there would be like a, a way to submit a pull request and add. There's like, yeah, this is kind of more funny, but it'd be nice to have like a definitive list of here are all the different conferences. Well, I bought my ticket for Swift TO today, or Super Early Bird ticket at $150 Canadian. Um, it went on sale today, so I bought one of those. That's in August. Um, we'll have to see whether that one gets canceled or not. But so far, not, not so much. Yeah. Is it to your personal benefit, Tim, that, you know, you could probably take the bus or, or walk possibly to uh, to the facility? Um, it's going to be really tough for folks that are going to have to travel, uh, especially flying and trying to figure out that. So I'm hoping sooner rather than later that this whole thing blows over and then we get through it. Or um, I think conferences end up in the, the really awkward circumstance of like, yeah, it's kind of better to cancel or delay earlier sure. uh, just out of um, benefit for the, the attendees. Right. So what's your next, uh, uh your next yeah, Speaking of which, uh, this is a, uh, a Twitter thread, uh, which includes, uh, Mr. Paul Hudson, that'd be at two straws on Twitter, but he is replying to Jim Pickard's quote of the day, which is wash your hands. Like you've been chopping jalapenos and you need to change your contacts. That's very good advice. Uh, yeah. The, the one that makes it the more than just code advice is Paul's edition, which is wash your hands. Like you've been eating Doritos and you need to do some typing on your butterfly keyboard, MacBook pro. <laughs> There you go, people. 20 seconds. Sing happy birthday at normal pace twice. Right. Or right. pretend that you have done one of these two things. Actually, somebody somebody listed a whole bunch of other songs that you could sing other than uh, happy birthday because that gets tiring after a while, right? So, yeah. Marco Armit also agrees with us. He's tweeted here that uh, he bets WWC is already canceled and Apple's just waiting to announce it until they have alternative plans arranged. Ah, ah. Well, I'm, I'm, for those of you uh, shaking your fist at the podcast right now, technically WWDC hasn't been 
been announced. Right. So it couldn't right. be canceled. So if right. I was public relations, I'd be like, guess what? We're making this live streaming only. WWDC, WWDC is free for everybody. Hmm. You can watch from your own couch. Right. Right. So it's a little different than like Google IO, which had actually been officially announced and they had dates and they were getting set up there on their campus, presumably. Hmm. Um, but as far as I know, uh, Mark, when you look out your window, there's no WWDC stickers on the, the windows, right? Of the convention center. I, don't, I can't see the convention center from my window. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a view killing tree set of trees. I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly far away from downtown, yes, uh, but uh, no, I haven't heard anything yet. So, so do, 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 this just in, this, this, this just in uh, Apple, they just pronounced or published today an updated re- resources and guidelines for sign in with Apple. Uh, this is a link, I have a link in the show notes for this one. Um, yeah. Just making it easier for people to sign in with Apple. Just, just derived on our doorstep. We managed to get it in before we ended the show. How about that? Design guidelines or uh, this is so fresh. Tim hasn't even put it in the show notes. And guidelines. Sign. I'm going to p- post you a link here. Hang on one second. Uh, it's like a stealth pick. Almost like Jack Greg was on the show. There you go. Yeah, it's got some desi- some uh, app store review guidelines and some human interface guidelines as well. This came out. All new apps and app updates submitted to the app store must follow these guidelines by April 30th, 2020. Mm-hmm. Or else. Yeah, as we're sitting here, it is March 4th. No so Doritos for you. Read them up. Read them up. Exactly. Where the heck did that come from? Oh, was blank you posted. Who posted? Oh, your Paul Hudson quote where it came from. Yep, just on my Twitter feed as, we, as we're speaking live. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? Or where would they go? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the hair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. Once again, my name is Tim Mitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine as well. You'll find me lurking around, following Jaime and trying to catch up with him. Um, yeah. So until next time, we'll say bye bye. Goodbye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Trending in Canada right now is Rip Twitter. Are we canceling Twitter now? What's with Rip Twitter? What is Rest in Peace? Twi- oh, is this know. is this related to the uh, the activist inventor uh, investor? Uh, I don't know. We have a new feature called Fleets. Oh yes, yes. Oh, it's trending in the United States too. Is that what people are talking about? Is it? So Fleets are the uh, the I don't know if it's the official word, but it's definitely the the idea being fleeting. You know, as in here today, gone tomorrow, sort of thing. Yeah, just the yeah. idea behind tweets that are. Not not persistent, meaning they're ephemeral. Very similar mm-hmm. to like Snapchat's, oh. you know, self-destructing oh, bits. Or right. if you think of like, again, Snapchat, but probably more realistically, Instagram stories where people can be a little bit more uh, sort of off the cuff, right? If you if you post mm. something on, on even on a, a, a yelling into the void sort of 
of community like Twitter, um, you know, it's there forever and, and people can see it. And notably, you can't edit it. So if you've got a typo in there and it goes viral, well, it's unfortunate to be you. It's going to be there uh, slurped away and in the Library of Congress <laughs> forever enshrined in their digital mm. archives. Um, I don't know what will happen with fleets, but the idea, it's not immediately bad, but I could see how certain popular individuals would make terrible, terrible use of ephemeral messaging on something like Twitter. So I don't know how I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, me either. Oh well, fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something I did today because I started getting irrationally twitchy about gosh, what ends up happening if I end up losing my uh authenticator app, right? So mm-hmm. um hypothetically I've got backups of my iPhone, uh, the encrypted backups, the kind that will actually restore everything as is. Right. Hypothetically I could even uh if I lost that backup, I could get that backup back from the backup, the other encrypted backup I have of this laptop. Yeah. In yeah. a much worse case, I could get the the other backup, which is where this backup came from in the first place, from my old MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. But I started thinking about like, gosh, I'd be rather hosed if I made a mistake in, uh, you know, like these printed out um, one-time use recovery codes that you, that you can get as a 2FA alternative and you, you shove them away in like a safe deposit box or something. It's like, wow, that'd be really inconvenient if I was, let's say, traveling somewhere and lost access and stuff. So I made I made the, the switch. I migrated away from Google Authenticator to using 1Passwords, two-factor, or one-time code generator stuff. It works really nice. No mm. complaints. I could, I was sort of playing with the idea. I was like, all right, so this account, I'm going to use uh, my phone as the one to set it up, and then I'm going to log in using the TOTP, the uh, time-based one-time passcode stuff on my MacBook Pro, and then vice versa, this other account, I'm going to use my MacBook Pro as the one who set it up, and then I'll actually log in using my phone. That worked pretty well. And I didn't double check with my iPad, but I've got at least two devices that will do it seamlessly. So I've, I've crossed the Rubicon of like, okay, what does it really mean when your two of A codes are in the thing that is controlled by one singular master password? There's that. But I think the, the threat model for me was, well, it's much more likely that I will stupidly drop this phone in the river and have it unavailable and not have any backups that are going to work versus, uh, you know, mean people trying to break into the stuff. Thoughts, comments? Tim, I think you were doing this, right? Yeah, I'm trying to use it as much as I can. Like, I, I'm still, I'm, in some cases, I have to use a, an official authenticator, but I only have, I think I only have two records left in my Google authenticator because I've been trying to move everything off of that into one password because it's much more convenient and, and accessible, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Now it'll actually also be a bazillion times easier to buy a brand new iPhone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. assuming that's not canceled this year. Because um, I'm about due, you know, this this iPhone 10 is it's done me done me well. It's done a good job, but uh, it's time to send it to a farm upstate, get myself something new. Mm-hmm. Well, this it. I don't know if you, if you have it down there, but we have this thing called Go uh, sorry, Orchard, where we can send our phones and they, they give you a good money for them and resell them. Yes, I've heard of that. It's a like a Gazelle competitor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gazelle, I guess. Yeah, we don't have that up here, I think. It actually started by a bunch of guys from U of T. University of Toronto. Yeah. Do you hear that, Tim? I'm, I'm trying really hard to, to be uh, to, to sound like a local. <laughs> local to you. Just say U of T. I'm trying not to say. Well, that, that one's harder. <laughs> right? That one's harder because it, 
U of T is like ambiguous to me. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. I'm from Texas, so he might be talking about what I would call UT Austin, but the rest of the world calls Texas University of Texas. It could be University of Tennessee if you're in that part of the country. What's the name of uh, the? There's a lady on um, Conan O'Brien the other day. Hang on, let me look it up here. Uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend podcast. Amy, Amy, something. While you're finding that, my my point was that I'm trying not to pronounce the hard T in toe for Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, I noticed you said Toronto, Toronto last year, last week. Toronto. I said it correctly last week. Toronto. It's really hard to say. How, how do you say it, Tim? Toronto. That's how Toronto. I say it. Toronto. Yeah. No, no, you have, you get the second T in there. Oh, Toronto? Yeah, Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a silent, it's a silent like, T. Okay. That's is like what it feels like. things like a New Englander, which it, I guess It's wicked sense. had. Wicked <laughs> had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's wicked easy. <laughs> it's wicked stupid not to do it the right way. <laughs> It's not, you know, yeah, holy shit, now. my Pentium 455 or whatever is outclassed by the 933. Your Pentium? I, I remember working on a 286. Yeah. Yeah. I, or an 8086. Or an 8086, But the, yeah. the first one yeah. I owned was a um, Pentium 233. What? 233 megahertz, top of the line for its time. And then like a year later, yeah, I before when Pentium the, came out, it was going to destroy the whole Mac community because it was so much faster. I mean, and and, and that's why things switched over, right? I mean, the... the I think we're still waiting the, for the Pentium to take over the world. The people in the fabrication, the, the clean room suits, they remember the colored clean room suits and they would dance around yeah. in the Intel commercial? They actually sold uh, <laughs> like bunnies, little, yeah. you know, stuffed animals, stuffed dolls you could buy of those. Yeah, the bunnies, yeah. yeah. IBM bunnies, yeah. Or yeah. Intel bunnies. So the, the Pentium aligned with Apple's troubled times, but I don't think it was the cause of it. No, no, no. Definitely it was, not. Yeah. I mean, well, that whole 90s period was, was horrible for software development in general and for business, right? Because I remember a lot of companies were started, you know, acquiring other companies and so many many softwares that we used to use back then you know ended up you know just dying on the vine because some company came along and bought them and you know tried to wine and dine this is back in the days when we used to go to, to boston for conferences and stuff right so maybe it was boston mark <laughs> what about boston no, i used to go to a lot of conferences in boston before before i discovered you know the beauty of san francisco and you know traveling for on a five-hour flight you know well, um you know there there was a time when when what happened in silicon valley might have happened in boston instead oh there no was, for sure yeah, yeah. and in, in yeah. In the 80s and 90s, it was definitely somewhere to go. It was definitely a big, uh, you know, all that brain tree and all the way down to brain tree from Boston. You know, the red line. There was a lot of lot of technology happening there. 128 corridor, which was route, the route 128 corridor was route 28 was the uh, highway that kind of looped around Boston. Right. Um, and now it's part of I-95, but the local route number was 128. So so locals still call it 128. Nobody ever calls it 95. I was there before the big dig and I was there after the big dig too, right? I moved away just as the big dig was getting started, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Have you, you've been back though, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Not as often as one might think into actual Boston. Usually when I go back, I just get out, you know, leave the airport and go to the suburbs. So I, I actually don't go into downtown Boston all that often. Yeah, I guess Getting to Boston used to be like a real chore, like, yeah. and it was all these weird exiting to the left. I always found that really strange, you know, kind of thing on the highway as you went looped around the top of the, the sort of peninsula, whatever right. it is. Right? Well, because it was then, one of these cases where the city existed first, and then they had to fit the highway in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So they could and they put an exit wherever they could. They had that big double decker bridge going out to Logan Airport and all that kind of stuff, right? But, uh, but yeah, the big dig, the big dig made it so like you just get in, you're almost injected into into downtown Boston. You know, oh. And it made a huge, huge difference. So there, there used to be this, and you probably remember this, Tim. There, there used to be this elevated freeway highway. They called it. Yeah, it was I ninety three that went straight through the middle of Boston and really cut it in half and just kind of ruined uh, that whole area 
area for probably 50 years or more because uh, it really isolated neighborhoods and split up neighborhoods. And then they finally, the big dig for people who don't know was was an enormous project where they, they dug a big hole and moved that highway underground in a big tunnel just through downtown Boston. It took took 20 years to do it, something like that. But now you go back, it's just amazing. You know, where, where it all used to be, and I remember this clearly, used to all just be gray, ugly freeway, highway. They don't call it freeway in, in these coasts. Big, ugly highway. Now it's just, it's a, it's a green belt. They put a big park there. You can, from Faneuil Hall, you can see all the way straight to the aquarium, which you never could before. Really, really mm. nice. Yeah. Huge improvement. Yeah. I didn't know it took it that long. I just, I remember they just had these great big uh, concrete rectangles that they, they kept, they would dig and they would shove it underneath the city, right? Because it had to support the city, but it didn't collapse in on itself. Right. And then, and then they finally finished it and then the thing started leaking. <laughs> oh, did it really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. man. They had to do yeah, some repairs, some emergency repairs. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Our, our engineering feat, you know? Yep. Everyone in, right. in uh, Washington State is staying home because of the virus, so they're all on the internet right now. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Clogging up the tubes. Yeah. That's the biggest challenge is plugging up all the tubes. Yeah. You know, Although today, uh, our governor declared a state of emergency, actually, in California. California? Yeah. We had our first uh, death from the virus today. Oh, really? Yeah, because well, I heard in, in Seattle or Washington area, it was it infected a, a, a long-term care facility, right? Which is like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's really yeah, bad. Like, like my mom's five or six deaths there in the facility. Yeah, my mom's in one right now, and when when one person gets sick, like it just spreads like boom, it's, it it spreads real quick, and and um, so like you know, often she'll be like quarantined into her room just for like a, a chest cold or something like that. Because I can just imagine if if that virus ever got into like a long term care facility, it would just you know, just it would be like lunchtime for the yeah. virus, right? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, and of course the, the the demographic are the ones who are going to suffer the most. So yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, because you guys just in Washington they just declared a state of emergency, how many like well, like a week ago or something yeah I, I think so and there's pretty heavy uh concerted effort to to get things squared away they've uh wow. you know really pushed it uh, an amazon employee as a perfect example right there in the middle of yeah. the like the core part of the city um yeah you know they've, they've got it and everything and so it's 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 definitely a, a daily topic here was that a delivery driver or like a warehouse worker no this is uh somebody who works in the office building oh in the office oh, yeah okay. so the the f5 building which I need to look up to see where that is. I think it's I think it's reasonably close to like Dropbox and stuff. Like they they sh- somebody got sick there, and so they shut down the building. They're sanitizing it. Um, uh, you pick them, Facebook, Dropbox. They're all uh, Google. They're all shutting off um, international travel, uh, domestic travel on this absolute necessary. They're doing um, no no visitors on site. You know, like uh, like in the case of like well, I guess Facebook and Dropbox I've been to. You can go like enjoy you know free lunch if you go visit your buddy who works there or dinner or something uh they're they're stopping that for the moment they are telling people to work from home where possible and they're doing um job interviews over um video conferencing really wow. yeah yeah well let's save let's save this topic for when we get into the show because obviously it's going to come up again so let's just dive in um